Good morning. It's great to be with you guys. Uh, just talking about your church uh, reminds me a lot of the church I grew up in South Louisiana. Very strong uh, missional church. Uh, very strong in Lottie Moon giving. By the way, thank you guys so much. Uh, your sacrificial giving to Lottie Moon uh, has just enabled so many of us for so many years to do uh, what is on all of our hearts. And I'm just really appreciative to Paul and Dana. Wouldn't you just like to just tell them how much you appreciate those guys? This morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3. And as we're looking at this, I just want to challenge you. As many of us have grown up in a very strong mission environment like this, I remember years after year after year where missionaries would come through our church and we would hear incredible things. But I remember thinking as a, as a young person, when does it ever end? And Peter, as an old man, he's already told us in chapter 1 that he knows that his end of his life is coming very soon, writes down one of the most critical things he wants to leave with the church before he dies. And we get to chapter 3 in verse 12, and he says something that's very, very strange. He says this. Since, verse 11, let's start there. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be to live lives of holiness and godliness? And look at this, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. What many of us don't realize is we are in the middle of a race and Peter and Paul and Lottie Moon and many others have have run this race and someone is going to finish it. One of the most amazing races in history was in the 2008 Beijing Olympics. You know, we just finished the last set of Olympics, and you heard a lot of news about the American swim team, but this is good news about the American swim team. Um, you guys know the name of the guy that got more Olympic medals than anybody? Who was that? Phelps, right? But in, in 2008, when he got his eight Olympic medals, many of us failed to know the name of the guy who actually helped him in the men's 4x4 relay, win that last gold medal. In the men's 4x4 relay, they swim the the pool length and back four times, Felt led off, and and the Americans were in the lead, but everyone knew the French would win. They were, hands down, much better than the Americans. The second leg, they were starting to lag behind, and finally the third leg, the Americans, uh, were in second place to the French. Watch what happens as we get ready to go into the fourth leg. Take it up! Bernardo's losing to the crowd! Here comes Lee 
okay. Who's talking now? The most incredible race probably in swimming history. No one thought they could do it, but someone finishes the race. Why not us? We miss that first generation. The one that was walking this earth when our Lord was walking the earth. Can you imagine sitting in the same room with him, asking him any question you want, eating a meal with him, all of these things. We miss that one. But there's going to be a second generation that will have finished what he gave his church. And I think we'll stand here to welcome him back. I want to make that one. And Peter, remembering the words of his Lord in Matthew 24, 14, he knew that there are lots of things that were going to swirl around the end times, wars and rumors and wars, famines, earthquakes. But Jesus said this in verse 14. He said, but this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all of the ethne, all of the people groups of this world. And then the end will come. Peter and Paul, those guys running as fast as they can to try to get the gospel to every remaining ethnic group. Peter getting ready to lay down and, and realize his death, knowing they're not done yet. And he turns to the church and says, you guys, since this is what's going on, then, then don't give up. Hasten, speed up the day. And can't you see those teammates as they're watching Jason Lezak, whose name you probably did not know before today? They're standing on the edge of the pool and they're just cheering him on. And we realize that today there's a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, cheering us on. Finish what others have started. But then, more than anything, you see that guy, Jason Lezak, As he's swimming in that pool and he realizes this can be done. And he hastens his own effort until finally he does what no one expected he could do. You don't know his name. And you know what? That's fine. There's going to be a last generation. And hopefully people don't remember our names. Because we just want to finish what others have started. And I love what it says in Acts 13. It says about David the king, it says David in Acts 13, 36 served the purpose of God in his own generation. Then he died and was laid to rest. Wouldn't it be remarkable if, if it could be said of our generation, we served the unique purpose of God in our generation. And why did David do that? You know, 1,000 years earlier, God had given the promise to Abraham, I will give you this land and then I will make you a blessing to the nations. 1,000 years earlier, It took a thousand years for the promise to be fulfilled. Why? Because it also says in Acts 13 that God found a man after his own heart. Are we lollygagging around in the pool? Are we going to pursue what's on God's heart? And this is what Peter takes us back to. And I want you to look at your Bibles. Just the first couple of verses. And uh, we will go through this fairly quickly, so keep your Bibles open. But Peter says in verse 1, I'm stirring up 
your sincere minds by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. What's he talking about? What is he saying that we should remember a commandment? Anybody remember? Just, just take a wild guess at the last commandment Jesus gave before he left the earth. Anybody remember what that was? You know it. The Great Commission told in all of the Gospels, that Great Commission, go and make disciples of all the nations. And that word is literally different people groups, ethnic groups that have their own customs, not nations like we think. But still, on this earth, there are over 3,000 people groups that speak unique languages, have their own customs, that have no one among them, no one, sharing the good news like Paul and Dana. No one. And so Peter is saying, I want to stir up. I know your hearts are sincere. I know that. He says, but I want to stir you up and remind you, don't forget what this is about. You're in a race. And then he goes on. As he's talking about what this is all about, he says in verses 9 and 10, let's start in verse 8. Don't overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. We all know that verse. Why? The Lord, verse 9, is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should preach repentance. Peter says this, don't forget. And he points this, he says, instead, remember the purpose. What purpose? There is a storyline going on. It began in Genesis 1. That storyline is this, that, that the Father, through the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, created all that we know. And from Babel, you remember that all the nations of the earth were separated, each with their own languages. And then all of narrow his, all of history narrowed to one man named Jesus Christ, sent from heaven, who gave his life on a cross to buy back from every tongue, tribe, and people, and nation, a people for himself. Why? Well, very, very simply, in Ephesians 5, that passage we all know about husbands love your wives, wives submitting to your husbands. Jesus said, that's all just a picture of what I'm doing in all of history, which is simply this. I want to create for myself a bride from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation. You see, what's happening right now is the bridegroom is standing on the doorstep. And he's waiting until his bride is ready. And then we get to that amazing revelation picture when he comes back and he gathers his bride, which is finally complete. Anyone in here ever been a bride? Gals, come on, please. Anyone here ever been a bride? Raise your hand, please. Be, be proud of it. Okay, honestly, if we could just measure in hours how many hours you took getting ready for that day. Anyone over an hour? Over two hours? I mean, how many of you guys were just kind of standing there like, when will she be done, right? You realize that's what the groom is doing right now. He's waiting. He's waiting. He wants to come back. He doesn't even know the hour. He said, only my father knows the hour. He wants to come back. This is the purpose of history. But while there are still 3,000 people groups in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus, that have no one preaching the gospel to them, he's waiting because he wants to be patient. He wants all of these nations to come to repentance. So Syrian refugees, he wants a huge part of his bride coming from them because he wants to be worshipped in every tongue, 
and language of this world. That's why he's waiting. Earlier in this chapter, he says people mock and say, when's he going to come back? Everything's the same way it always has been. He's patient for our salvation. And as he waits, I want you to realize that even though there are still 3,000 people groups on the face of this earth that have yet to hear the gospel, the Father is preparing them to receive the gospel. And do you realize that in just North America alone, just North America, among Bible-believing churches, there are 50 churches for every one of those people groups. You see, we don't lack the resources. We just lack the resolve. We just lack the resolve. I took a team from a church just like this into a country, a communist country in Southeast Asia, very, very dark place. We wanted to find one of these unengaged, unreached people groups. And when we walked into this village, as we walked in, the pastor of the church, like Wade, and then a lot of his church members were with us, and we walked into this village, and the government representative that was there was a guy, a young man by the name of Hook. Just like Captain Hook. He spoke some English. He said, welcome to our village. Would you like for me to show you around? The pastor turns to me and says, is it okay if we share the gospel with him? I said, yeah, I think this is okay. So we're walking through the village. There are all these houses up on stilts. And underneath the houses are coffins. I said, Hook, why are there coffins underneath the houses? He said, oh, this is very important. Because whenever we die, we want our spirit to immediately go down to the coffin to find the coffin. If, if the spirit doesn't find the coffin, then he'll wander around and haunt us all of our days. Well, that's, can you imagine living with coffins under your house every day? That's a pretty vivid sign of your mortality every day. We kept walking through the village, and we got to this, the center square, and there's this post, a wooden post. And in the post are all of these cut marks. I said, I said Hook, what is this post? He said, oh. That's our sacrifice pole. Your what? Our sacrifice pole. I said, what do you mean? He said, every day we tie up a pig or a goat or a water buffalo to that sacrifice pole. And all day long, we as villagers, we come by and we'll hit that, that animal to try to make that animal cry. And the more, the more the animal cries, the more, listen to this, you're just not going to believe this, the more of our sins it takes on itself. And then eventually we slit its throat and shed its blood and our sins are paid for for that day. Can you think of any possible lead into the gospel at this point? <laughs> I turned to Hook and I said, so you do this every day? He said, every day. I said, Hook, have you ever heard of the God who made a sacrifice for us? He said, there's a God who would do that? We shared the gospel from creation all the way through Christ. He could understand the whole narrative of the Bible right there in about 15 minutes. The pastor is sharing with me. We're tag teaming. We get to the end, and I said, Hook, do you want to invite Jesus to forgive you once and for all of all your sins? Make him your Lord. And he said, no more sacrifices? I said, no more sacrifices. You're not going to believe this. This is truth. He said this. That's really good news. Right there, he gave his life to Christ. That night, we had to leave. We trained him how to go home, and he led his wife and two daughters to faith because as a one-minute old believer, he's now got the Holy Spirit equipping him. You see, God is going before us in the purpose of history to prepare every place. There is no place on earth that we have found that the Holy Spirit's not preparing people. All we're waiting for is for the church to finish. The problem's never been God. 
And the problem's never been the harvest. The problem's always been the worker. So, so Peter says, I want to remind you what this is all about. Get out there and finish gathering this bride. And then he comes to these amazing verses in verses 11 and 12. He says, remember the purpose. And in verse 11, which we read, since, guys, since all of these things, the earth will be destroyed, Jesus will come back one day, since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. I want you to look at that verse 12. It's very, very significant. Two words. Waiting for and hastening. That word waiting for is a very interesting word. It means to live in suspense. It's like when you're reading a book, what's going to happen next? Or you're you're on the edge of your seat in a movie, what's going to happen next? That's this word. He says, listen, church. Live in suspense. Lord, when, when are you going to finish this? Lord, we're working hard. When, when are you coming back? Live in suspense. You know, the first people group that my wife and I worked with in East Asia, they're a very remote people group, poor, the poorest people group in our, in our country. And we began to go out there, and churches began to start, and then they began to multiply as those believers every six months. They would go to another village and win their families and friends or cousins, uncles, and start a church there. And when I say church, don't think of this. Think of a group meeting in a house or under a a mango tree. And every month they would do something very interesting. Every month they would would gather on top of a mountain and look out over their valley. They could see 30 to 40 villages. And they would pray, Lord, the gospel here is in eight villages right now. Where do you want your kingdom to go next? And they would fast and pray. And God would show them. And then over the course of the next few weeks, they would begin going out in twos and threes throughout all those villages to share the gospel and to bring in the bride. If the, next tri- if the next village down the trail was not their people group, but from another one, it didn't matter because they want to bring in the whole bride. They were living in suspense, and they are taking up their role to speed up, to hasten the day of the Lord. You don't know when it is. I don't know when it is. Jesus doesn't know what it is, when it is. He just said, guys, finish the task. I'm ready to come back. I'm standing on the threshold. I want to gather my bride. And from our perspective, there is going to be a generation that is going to hasten that day and finish the task and run or swim the final lap. And so I ask you again, why not us? We don't lack the resources, just the resolve. And you see, we're doing this until... What Paul says in Romans 15, 23 is accomplished. Paul says in Romans 15, 23, he says, you know, I, I've gone all the way from Jerusalem, all the way around, almost to northern Italy, to Illyricum, and I fully proclaim the gospel. And he says this in verse 23, there is no place left for me in these regions. And that's when you realize what this is all about. One day at a GIC, Wade, we can stand up here and say, say the number of unengaged, unreached people groups is... Zero. There's no place left for this gospel to go. When that day comes, we're going to have an amazing party, and we're just going to be shot, jumping up now and say, Lord, whenever you're ready, we're ready. But until then, Lord, be patient. Because we want the full number to come in. Guys, we can finish this thing. My mom was just telling me a couple of weeks ago about when she was a little girl in World War II. Everyone, everyone was a part of the war effort. 
She said, if you saw a healthy young man walking down the street, he would be ashamed to walk down the street without a uniform on. Because every healthy young man was, was serving. The ones that weren't were here serving the war effort at home. Kids were saving up their dimes to buy war bonds to fund the war effort. Women were working in factories. Everyone was mobilized. Why are we not mobilized like this? Peter says, hasten the day. It's time for us to rise up and, and move from amazing giving and praying and going to what it's going to take giving, praying, and going. In fact, Peter ends this letter in verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace and count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote you according to the wisdom given him. And right there you realize Peter's going back to what Paul even wrote in Ephesians 5, that Jesus wants a bride without spot or blemish. He's waiting, he's waiting, and therefore, since these things are to be this way, he says, you guys, you guys make haste to be like this, to be a part of this, to take your place in the race and to finish this task. I mentioned to you that people group that we worked with that every six months, they were starting churches. You know what? One thing that moved my heart one day, they're the poorest of the poor. They, most of them, only third grade education, barely able to read and write. And one day we had a large whiteboard, and I was training them how to share the gospel, make disciples, start churches, and help them multiply. And I wrote on the board, I said, guys, God's done an amazing thing. In the first three years that they began launching out the first year, 25 churches started in a place that had never had churches. The next year, they were 76 churches. The next year, they were 175 churches. And then they kept on multiplying. A couple of years later, they sent their first long-term team to a nearby country, and they have no money. But when they were about 80 churches, on the whiteboard, I wrote on there, I said, I said, guys, you have 80 churches. And I put the number 80 up there. I said, what will it take for us to get the gospel to every one of the remaining 5,000 5, villages in the next five years? Well, their eyes just about popped out. Their jaws were on the ground. Five years? Five years? I said, yes. There's an urgency to this thing. We must hasten this day. And, and they, were, they were dumbfounded, but I told them, I have to leave for lunch. You guys pray and talk, and when I come back, you tell me how your 80 churches are going to reach and plant churches among 5,000 villages in five years or less. When I came back into the room, they were tickled to death. They were literally jumping up and down just like this. And they were excited. And they said, Brother Steve, you'll never believe this. I said, what? He said, oh, we have 80 churches right now. Yeah, I know that. Well, we can all start one church in six months. That's not hard. And, and you know, in six months, we'll have 160 churches. I said, that's great. He said, oh, that's not hard either. Look, we can train those new churches to start new churches. And in six more months, we'll have 160. And then we'll have 320. And then 640 and 1,280. And then they wrote this big three and a half on the whiteboard. I said, Brother Steve, we'll be finished in three and a half years. They're hastening the day. At that same training... I was teaching them how to baptize because they were seeing people come to Christ left and right. Tons of persecution. Many of them thrown in jail. Many of them beaten. A year later, one of them would die. And as I was teaching them about baptism, 
I said, when you baptize someone, normally we ask them a few questions. Let me give you three examples. So the first thing you can ask them, and so we, we practiced. I had a guy with me. The first question I asked him was, have you decided to follow Jesus as your Lord? Yes? Okay. Ask question number two. Do you know he's forgiven you of all of your sins? If the answer is yes, then we go to question number three. Are you telling everyone here you'll follow Jesus and never turn back? They know how difficult that is. If they say yes, then we baptize them. I got through sharing those three questions. I actually had them all stand up person by person, and they baptized people with no water, just falling on the floor and rolling around laughing. We were having a great time. And then they sat down and said, guys, do you have any questions? And this old man, he'd only been a believer about a year. He represented about five or six churches from his area. He said this. He said, I'd like to ask this question. Uh, could, we, could we add a fourth question to those three questions? I said, yes, brother. What is the question you would like to ask? He said, I want to ask this. Now, he's speaking in Chinese, which is his second language. It's not his heart language. I'm listening in Chinese, which is definitely my second language. And he says this. I want to ask, when they come into your house and they drag you away and they throw you in prison and threaten to kill you, will you still follow Jesus? I said, oh, brother, would you please repeat that? I don't think I understood that. He said, yeah, I want to ask when they come into your house and they drag you away and they throw you in prison and they threaten to kill you, will you still follow Jesus? And it was right there. I realized these brothers and sisters, they're living out what Peter says. What sort of people ought you to be? They've given up everything. But you know what? Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found that treasure, he went and sold all that he had in joy and bought that field. These believers found a treasure worth more than life itself. And because of that, they're saying, we're running this race to the very end. We want Jesus, we want his kingdom, and we want his kingdom to come on earth now as it is in heaven. Do we? There will be a last generation. The groom is standing on the threshold. The Father, through His Spirit, is preparing hearts of peoples. We don't lack the resources, just the resolve to get to no place left.